Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you once again this morning and ask that you would take this time that we have dedicated to your worship. Lord, we know that we are unworthy to come into your presence, and yet, Lord, you've made us worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray that we would sing these songs to the best of our ability to bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, I pray that the preaching that is done this morning will be simple and biblical, and that the Holy Spirit will have freedom to minister the word to each heart here. Lord, we ask that during the invitation time that none of us would withhold from you what is yours. We pray for those that may be with us today that do not know you as the Savior, that this time would at least be a step closer. And Lord, we pray that you would work in hearts and lives to bring them into true biblical salvation. Lord, we ask that each part of this service would bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please, song would be true of each of our lives today. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. And we're going to read the psalm in just a few moments, but I'd like to tie in a few things historically and etc. How many of you know what Friday was? Uh, If you listen to the news at all, uh, it was the 70th anniversary of the D-Day landings. That was the invasion of Hitler's fortress Europe. Uh, It was on the beaches of of Normandy in France. It opened up a second front. And in 11 months, in two days, the Third Reich that... Adolf Hitler boasted would last a thousand years, had unconditionally surrendered and was no more, wiped from the pages of history. In one of the things, just listening to different radio programs and news points, several people kept bringing up the idea that... um, you know, that we today, there's no way that we could commit to this kind of war, and there's no way that we have the character that the men did and uh, that stormed those beaches. And, you know, there's one thing that we ought to all learn about history. Number one, you can't repeat it. And number two, you really do wrong in trying to understand what happened in history using a present-day mind. I mean, the strategy of the Normandy landings, if you really want to look at it from a military point of view, uh, was not that deep. It it was not... uh, I mean, there were all kinds of of, uh, things being done to lure German troops away from the Normandy beaches and deceive the... Uh, uh, when and where and how the invasion was coming, and and we're glad for all of those things. Uh, Someone threw out the figure that over three million military personnel participated uh, in landing those 160,000 Allied soldiers that were the first wave of the Normandy invasion. Now you stop and think about the coordination that it took. And, and we could talk about all of that, but the strategy was simply this. 
we must overwhelm the troops guarding the beaches so we can establish a port of entry to move military men and supplies into Fortress Europe. That's all they wanted. That's why Field Marshal Rommel said, we've got to hold them at the beach. If they get a beachhead, we've lost the war. And he was right. It happened to him in Africa, and it was going to happen and did happen on Normandy's beaches. You see... They did what they were ordered to do. And, of course, the most famous of all the beaches was Omaha. They did not know it at the time, had no way of knowing it, but there was a crack panzer division that was right behind the Omaha line. And they pinned our troops down, and in hours, the casualties were over 2,000 people uh, many of the officers, most of the uh, non-commissioned officers were all dead. It was just people trying to stay alive on that beach. How is a force like that going to overwhelm those that are entrenched above them? Well, here's how it happened. They just kept putting more men ashore. And more men kept dying. And some of them stood up and started marching toward the enemy. And they literally pushed them off. The word overwhelmed is what happened. Now, I want you to think about this word today. Because it did not mean that the Germans got scared and ran away. That, that They were overwhelmed, but they were not scared. They did not run away. It was step-to-step, foot-to-foot, face-to-face, hand-to-hand fighting for every inch of land. In fact, there's an American cemetery that looks over the beach today. Uh, I just looked this up. In that cemetery, there are remains of 9,383 American servicemen and four servicewomen. All who gave their lives a lasting and terrible testimony of the high price of freedom. You see, they did overwhelm the Nazi resistance. The word means to flood, to push away, to overcome, to completely surround. How many of you have ever just sat down and said, I'm overwhelmed? I want to challenge you today, that's not really a proper usage for a Christian. It feels that way sometimes. But you know what? The light has never been put out by the darkness. You ever notice that? You can go into a pitch black room and turn on the light, and what happens? The darkness moves away. Darkness always recedes before light. It never happens the other way around, only in the movies. 
Because what did Jesus say? He said, I am the light of the world. And I want us to think this morning, and, and we should remember those that gave their lives and the gallantry that was displayed on that day. I also found out that in the bombing raids that led up to uh, the Normandy invasions, 19,000 civilians died. And 12,000 airmen gave their lives so that it would be a little easier for those guys to step up onto the beach and overwhelm the Nazis who were trying to keep them out. You see, the Nazis never gave up one inch of ground. They were pushed off of it. And you know, the devil desires to do that to each one of us. You cannot resist a superior force. Every once in a while, uh, Joey and Jason, they love to wrestle. And so they will come up and grab my leg, and they're, what are they trying to do? They're trying to move me. What is going to happen next? Well, I just reach over and pick them up. Who gets moved? Uh, well, they do. But that's the way it ought to be. Now, I really don't want Stephen trying that. At 16, I, I still outweigh him, but... Uh, uh, I really don't want to get in a wrestling match with my 16-year-old son. And the ones that are older than him, they know better. They respect their father. Amen? Uh, I have nothing to prove. I am your dad, not the champion wrestler. Amen? But you know, we as Christians, sometimes we think we're going to fight the devil. And you know who gets overwhelmed? We do. Sometimes circumstances and just living life and things that are going on around us overwhelm us. I mean, I, I just got, uh, I was contacted by an old friend a while back and I want to be careful because I don't want to identify him or his organization in any way today. I'm not meaning to disparage anything, but he, he, he believes that there needs to be a constitutional amendment to help parents be better parents. And in our discussion, I tried to explain to him that if parents won't be better parents because of the church that they attend and the Bible they hear, they're not going to be better parents because of a constitutional amendment. It doesn't work that way, my friend. And we look out in the society and what's going on today, things that are allowed, things that are legal, things that are trumpeted today. We're against the law. 50 years ago. 
were not even thought of that normal people would engage in such aberrant and deviant behavior. Yet it's happening. And if you're not careful, I, I get things all the day, all the time. Well, the church of God is not doing its job, and therefore our organization has come to help them and fill in the blank. Make better teens, make better fathers, make better husbands, make better mothers, uh, counseling and give them better thoughts of mind. Let me tell you something. The answers are in this book and nowhere else. Jesus' plan for planet Earth is the local church and nothing else. You say, but, but you're going to be overwhelmed. Hey, have you read the book of Revelation, my friend? I don't want to stand in the way of prophecy. All of those things are going to happen because God said they were. But where do I want to be? Right where Jesus said to be. Now, I want us to read Psalm 77 this morning. So, follow along with me. We're going to read the whole psalm. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in his anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that dost wonders, and thou, ha and thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The waters saw thee, O God. The waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea. 
and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, this is not a psalm written by David. It's signed by Asaph, who was one of the chief singers, one of the priests in charge of of temple, of worship in the temple. And the first thing I want to start with this morning as we go through this passage is that the trouble that was spoken of was real. You know, we get this idea that nothing bad happens to Christians, that everything ought to be just wonderful and go the way I want. Well, uh, that works on TBN, my friend, Uh, uh, but it doesn't work in real life. Don't try this at home, because life is full of struggles. It is full of pain. It is full of suffering. That's what life is about, my friend. Look what the psalmist says here. He said, In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. I'll tell you, if you've ever been on the the bed of physical affliction... If you've ever been laid up where you couldn't move and you couldn't do the things that you used to do, where now you had to have people come in and help you with the simplest things. And the doctor said, well, there's really no cure. Let me tell you something. A lot of times there's a tendency in that time to get overwhelmed. And to take our eyes off God and put them on our trouble. I I want you to know something and understand something. The trouble and the pain was real. It wasn't pretend. But it was even more than that. Look what it says. My soul refused to be comforted. You know, there, there are connections and between what goes on in your physical body and what goes on in your spiritual and emotional body. The, the real you that's inside can be affected by uh, things that go on in your body. In fact, there's a whole realm of medications and things that deal exactly with this part. They, I mean... They can give you a pill and make you feel happy. They can give you a pill and make you feel sad. Uh, I mean, they can control your emotions and your sleeping and your waking. In in fact, in the 60s and 70s, there was a whole group of doctors that were known as Dr. Feelgoods. And and they would uh, go to people and they would prescribe things that no ordinary doctor in his right mind would give a human being. But what they were doing was people that had more money and more problems than they wanted to think about, they could, quote-unquote, buy happiness out of a little bottle of pills or injections and things like this. But you'll notice here, he said, my soul refused to be comforted. You know what that means? 
It means that God's comfort was there. But the present distress in his life, he said, I'm not going there to get it. And that's a pretty dangerous place to be, my friend. That's how you get overwhelmed. He said, I remembered God and was troubled. He's not saying, I I remember God and all of His blessings and I was comforted. No, he said, I refuse to be comforted. I remember God and that He did all these great things for all these great people, but He wasn't doing anything for me right now. He said, I complain. How many of you are good at complaining? No, don't raise your hands. You know, that's something you don't have to teach anybody. I mean, I'll pick up little Jason and be rolling around. He'll go, Danny, you're hunting me. And, uh, and no, I'm not. But just squeezing him in a way that's a little uncomfortable. He, he just doesn't like that. And, you know, we're, we're that way with God all the time, are we not? He said, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. He said, I was moved. I was being pushed out of the way by these forces in my life. I still love old Brother Nielsen's definition of discouragement. It's forgetting who God is. And it works. That's exactly where we find. And if you study Asaph and anything about his life, you'll find out that he had an awful lot to be discouraged about. I mean, there were some wicked kings in his day and people that had no regard for the things of God at all. He said, I was overwhelmed. You see, number one today, as we go through this psalm, I I want you to think about what happened there on Normandy's beaches. They overwhelmed those that would hold the land. They just overwhelmed them. They pushed them out of the way. And the casualty rate was just astronomical. It was unbelievable for what we would understand. In fact, even today, 70 years later, they cannot come up with an exact casualty account from the D-Day invasions. They, they, they can get it fairly close on the Allied side, but if you want to start talking about the German side, uh, there's just absolutely no way to even know how many people were there because the records were destroyed when they bombed Berlin. And, uh, and some people estimate that in the Normandy landings and the initial uh, securing of the beachhead would took oh, almost 30 days for everything to get established where they were really pushing forward. They were talking about combined casualties of over 400,000 men. And you stop and think about that. Now, that, of course, that includes the wounded as well. A casualty is someone who is no longer capable of fighting. Four hundred thousand. You see, 
What was going to happen is, if the first 160,000 didn't get the beachhead established, they were going to shove in another 100,000. And another. Until it was established. Because the Allied... So the, the Allied leaders knew they had one thing. There were only so many Nazis. They weren't being replaced. And if they had more, regardless of how they fought, they would be overwhelmed. Happened. And it'll happen to you. If you allow the things of this life to begin to accuse God of making mistakes. To begin that complaining and to refuse to be comforted by the Word of God. To be troubled by saying, you know, God, you were this way here, but you're not being that way with me. Let me tell you something. God is no respecter of persons. He never asks anyone to suffer needlessly. But I want you to understand, God is under no obligation to explain to you why and what He is doing. He is God. And if we forget that, we'll be overwhelmed. Cannot help but happen. You see, the trouble is real. And you and I are capable of being overwhelmed. But look at verse 5. In verse 4, he says, "Thou, uh, let's not skip over this. He said, Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He said, When I wake up, all I see is you. My, my, my thoughts and everything I am is fastened on God. But God, you're not working the way I want you to work. I can't speak because I know that I can't question God. It's amazing what people do when they get into trouble. You know, I, I love the outdoors and I love to be out in the woods. But you cannot imagine the... Uh, unbelievably dumb things people do when they get into trouble in the outdoors. I mean, there was a fellow one time, he was hiking way down into the wilderness, got an ingrown toenail. His foot started hurting really bad. So bad he couldn't walk. And so he gets out his handy camp knife and all of those things and operates on his toe in the wilderness. Uh, I want to 
challenge you, he didn't survive the ordeal. Not that his operation was that bad, but he still had to walk out of there. If he would have just rested, taken his handy-dandy camp knife and made a cane or a pair of crutches, uh, drank water out of the streams and gotten sick in a few days, he would have been back to where he could have gotten well again. But he decided to try to fix things where he was. Not incredibly intelligent. They have actually found people who have been wandering in the wilderness, have gotten hypothermia, and literally hid from the people who were trying to find them. Because their mind had lost all proper reason because the temperature in their body had lowered and they weren't thinking clearly anymore. And I mean, terrible, terrible, just dumb things. I, I want to challenge you that Christians do the dumbest things. Especially when they take their eyes off Jesus. Amen. You see, verse 5, we have a change. He says, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. And then he asked some really hard questions. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in his anger shut up his tender mercies? And then we see the word Selah. And I want to challenge you that a whole lot more of us, if we would be honest, have asked these same questions. Where's God's graciousness? Where's His mercy? Why has He forgotten me? Will the Lord punish me forever? You see, Asaph knew the Word of God. He was one of the chief singers. His job was bringing praise to God. He said, I made a diligent search. He said, I looked at these things and I found out something. That's not the God of the Bible. You see, one thing we've got to get a hold of, just because it's called God doesn't mean it's this God. There's an awful lot of false gods out there. The world is full of them. I believe the Hindu religion claims 300 million gods. And by the way, no one religion can get them all. So I know that there's at least 300 million in one. Amen? Uh, I mean, there's got to be... There is no end to the gods that are out there. But there's only one God of this Bible. And you know something? The Lord never cast off forever. His mercies are never forgotten God cannot violate His own character. You see, the first answer to being overwhelmed that the psalmist gives us 
is you must understand the person of God. You see, if you look at a set of circumstances from your own thought process, you will eventually come to the conclusion that God is at fault. That's why the psalmist said, I complain. But if you will start out from the part, from the point that God is good, period. You know, that's why the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe, what? That he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The two things you have to understand about God, if you're going to have faith, is number one, he is, and number two, he is good. And you cannot violate those principles, because if God is neither of those, he's not God. By definition. And so the psalmist said, ask all of these terrible questions, but the answer is implied. Wait a minute, I made a search. Wait a minute, I know what the Bible says. I know who God is. God is always good, even though it doesn't feel like it right now. God will comfort me if I will not refuse his comfort. If I'll stop complaining, he'll comfort me. And if I'll stop thinking he did something wrong, he will put within my mouth words of praise and goodness to him. Let's read on. Verse 10. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and, thy, and talk of thy doings. Here's the second answer. The second answer is, look what God does. Look what he is recorded as having done in his word. You see, when God does something, he does it right. When he said, let there be light, the darkness has never turned it off in these 6,000 years of human history. I don't believe in evolution. I believe in God. I like what the one guy said. We've used it often here. I do believe in the Big Bang Theory. Really? Yeah. God said, let there be light. Bang! There it was. God said, let there be a heaven and an earth. Bang! There it was. I mean, I believe in that. Now, if I believed in the other Big Bang Theory, then Iraq should be the most beautiful place on the face of the earth because we've exploded more ordnance there than in the entire history of mankind. But it isn't. So, I'm going to stick with the God theory. Amen. Uh, It works. Because God works. It was sometime shortly after World War II, we were working on the atomic bomb. And we went to one of the most beautiful, peaceful places on the earth. A place called Bikini Atoll, a little island in the Pacific 
and exploded the largest nuclear weapon that was ever exploded in the history of mankind. Vaporized the ships that were sitting in the harbor. Vaporized part of the islands themselves. They said that this area would not be inhabitable for a thousand years. You know what the number one thing on Bikini Atoll today, less than 70 years after they, 50, about 60 years since they exploded that bomb, uh, tourism. You know what they do there? They fish. Now, some of the fish still glow in the dark, so you have to be careful. But many of the fish that are there, the smaller ones, are still edible and good. You see, when God created this thing, he did it a little better. See, I'm not worried about global warming until we get Second Peter chapter 3. That's going to be global warming when the elements dissolve with the fervent heat. Uh, but God is the one that's going to do that. Don't you be worried about the world ending. You better be worried about the God of this book. Because he does things. God has worked. And if we wanted to, we could line people up from here to the sidewalk and have them give stories of things that God has done in their lives personally. You see, you've got to understand that God is and that he is good. But he does work. And he is doing things. And he has done things. And he will do things. It says, remember, remember, remember. And then he says, I will meditate. That doesn't mean cross your legs and go, hmm. What it means is to get so full that it leaks out of your head and fills your heart. That's Bible meditation. And I'll tell you, when it's in your heart, it goes everywhere else. You know, if I want my daughter to smile, all I have to do is say, Chad, she's smiling. She's also red. I'm sorry for embarrassing you. But see, her heart is full. She's going to get married in a couple of months. In fact, she knows the number of days and all of that stuff. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, if it's in your heart, it goes everywhere else. Amen. Why can't we do that with God? Why can't we give God as much respect as we do another human being we care about? You know why? Because our eyes aren't on God. We're not remembering what He did. We're not meditating on who He is and how great He is. We only want the pain to go away. You know what? Sometimes the pain doesn't go away. But he's still God. Sometimes he allows the pain to be there. So that we won't be distracted with all of these other things. And the only thing we can think about is God. You see, the answer is in the person of God. The answer is what he does. Now, verse 13 is the hardest one for us to grab a hold of. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? 
You know what the first thing that happens when adversity comes into our life? We stop worshiping God. And you know who is happy when that happens? The devil is. In fact, if the devil could do anything, if you gave him a list of things and say, Mr. Devil, I want you to pick your most favorite, your most delightful, the greatest thing that you can accomplish on earth. You know what the answer would be? If I can stop somebody from worshiping God. That's what he's after. That's what he was trying to tempt Jesus with when he said, Listen, I own this world. It belongs to me. And if you'll just fall down and worship me, I'll give it to you. The devil wants worship. And if he can't have it, he doesn't want you giving it to God, my friend. And if you want a cure for what's wrong with you, worship God. If you want a cure for what's wrong with that person that's really bothering you and making your life miserable, you worship God. I had to preach a funeral, not for someone who's a member of our church. I visited a couple of times and praise the Lord. She had given a very clear testimony of salvation to her brother and other members of her family. And you know, people get caught up in all this. Oh, if they could just see us, they would be so happy that we're respecting them. You know, and I had to say it. It wasn't something I normally say at a funeral, but I just felt like somebody had to speak up for God. I said, you know, the deceased has given testimony that she trusted God with her soul. And I really want you to stop and think that if she's standing in the presence of Jesus today, she really doesn't care what's going on here. We forget how great God is. You know what? You have the privilege of worshiping Him right here and right now. Before you think that was a mean thing to say, you weren't there, all right? You see, when we take our eyes off who God is and start putting them on other things, we lose all of our comfort. We're going to be overwhelmed. We're going to give privilege to the devil that he does not deserve. You see, God's way is not out there slashing the foes of the Lord with the sword of the Spirit and showing how great I am at defeating the enemies of the Lord. You can't even protect yourself. Only Jesus can. You want to get overwhelmed? Start messing with the devil. He'll blow you out of the water, but he doesn't care about you. They said old Stalin was a 12-year-old boy, and he said, I, I want to know if there is a God. And he said, I went out in the wilderness for three days, and he said, I want God to reveal himself to me. And God didn't, so there must not be a God. How stupid. Do you think God cares who you are? 
He's already revealed himself in this book. If you won't believe Moses and the prophets, you're not going to believe signs and wonders, my friend. If you won't worship God because of what's written in this book, there is nothing that could happen to you that would move you in that direction. That's what Asaph's saying here. He said, listen, I refuse God's comfort. My sore ran in the night. He said, there was nothing going on. He said, I thought about God. He said, I kept looking at Him, but He wasn't doing the things that I wanted. I complained. There was, I couldn't even speak. I couldn't even pray is how messed up I was. He said, then I got reading His Word. And I remembered who God is. And then I began to remember the things that God has done. And I meditated on those things until they filled me up and I had to tell somebody else what God was doing. I've often said the greatest cure for depression known to mankind is get a handful of tracts and go out and tell somebody about Jesus. It'll solve your problems, I'll tell you that. It says, Thou art the God that dost wonders, in verse 14. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. You see, the answer is in worshiping God right now. It's in worshiping for what He has done. It's in worshiping Him for what He can do. It's in worshiping Him for who He is. In verse 19, it says, Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. When's the last time you thank God for all the things that you don't know about? That's why on Sunday nights in our praise time, nobody else does, and, and I don't, I'm not asking people to do this, but I often in my prayer thank God for the things we don't know about. If you knew how close you came to death, how many times you've done it, you wouldn't do anything. You'd just lock yourself in your house and slip in the bathtub and fall and die. Uh, I'll tell you, the simple truth of the matter is, there's an awful lot that God has not given you. It's okay to laugh in church. There's an awful lot that God has given you because He's withheld the knowledge from you. Well, I can't worship a God I can't understand. Well, you're going to have a very small God, my friend. Because you don't understand much. Neither do I. And we don't understand near what we think we do. I love the guys, the scientists that had done all the evaluation and they had taken a core sample of the ice pack and... They were evaluating how many thousands of years old this uh, uh, drilling was. I think it was almost 100 feet in length. And then they found a P-38 from World War II buried under thousands of years of ice. You see, they had flown them over there and they only got to Greenland. The end of the war, everybody forgot about a whole squadron of planes. And they were under 150 feet of ice and some well-meaning scientist came over there and just happened to pick the wrong spot to do his boring. 
you know what? He didn't know half of what he thought he was. That ice was not even 50 years old. He was just counting the melt and fall cycles. Uh, sometimes you get a couple of those in the same day, my friend. You don't know what you think you know. Unless you're talking about God. And then stick to what's written down. In your Bible, by the way. Don't worry about Mr. Ron Brown and all these, uh, the Da Vinci Code and all these other guys. Somebody said, why don't you talk about that? I'm not trying to be mean today or rude in any way, but if you're so foolish as to believe that kind of stuff, I can't help you. I'm I'm sorry. Uh... If you don't know why I feel that way, we'll sit down and talk about it after service. Be happy to help you there. But uh, when it came to, when it comes to honesty and integrity, Ron Brown uh, is not on the list. It, it just isn't. It, one of the most dishonest representers of lies in, in the world today. In fact, you'd have to go to Bible college and be Sun Young Moon or some other guy like that to be worse. You see, the answer is in who God is. The answer is in what God has done. The answer is in taking what we know about God and worshiping Him for who He is, what He has done, what He will do, and what we don't know. Because when the whole story's ended and it's all said and done, look at me in verse 20. Thou leddest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, we happen to be going through that part uh, of the New Testament in our uh, Old Testament in our Sunday school time. Uh, there was a lot of problems with Moses and Aaron leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and through the wilderness. And this morning we found out they were just sentenced to 40 years in the wilderness to die because of their disobedience. Last week, if you were here for Brother Franz's lesson there, Moses said, Lord, kill me, it's too much. And our psalmist, under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, sums it up. He said, God, you led your nation like a flock of sheep by the hands of Aaron and Moses. Moses and Aaron. You know, it really wasn't anything for God to do what he did. God was never upset or concerned. Now, you know, it does say that his anger waxed hot and he did things to help the children of Israel understand. And by the way, he was trying to help you and I understand today that he still gets upset when we step out of the way, when we willfully disobey him. But if you want a title... For today's message, it's simply this. Never overwhelmed. How can I be never overwhelmed? Well, I'm going to stop looking at my problems and my complaint. And I'm going to start remembering who God is. I'm going to remember the great things He has done. I'm going to meditate on His Word until it fills my heart. And I have to tell people what God has done. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to worship Him now. I'm going to worship Him for who He is. 
I'm going to worship Him for what He's done. I'm going to worship Him for what He can and will do. And I'm going to worship Him for the things that I don't even understand and don't know. Because He's still God. See, it's no big deal for God to make me a real Christian in this world in which we live. It's no big deal for God to use our church the way He wants to. And has, by the way. And wants to in the future. It's not a great expenditure of God to help us live for Him and live biblically. Now, us, on the other hand, it looks a little different. But if I stop looking at me and start worshiping Him, I'll have that comfort that I didn't have in verse 4, 3 and 4. I'll have that direction. I'll have that peace. And I'll have His strength. And I will never be overwhelmed because the devil can't move God. And all God's people say. Heavenly Father, we come before You. We ask that You would help us To look at these verses and to look at the answer and the great things that were wrestled with by the writer of this psalm. Lord, I ask that we would not be overwhelmed, but we would take the same direction of escape that the writer found. And Lord, maybe we just need to spend some time at an altar praying. Lord, I can't think and can't understand every heart and every soul that is here today. But Lord, my greatest prayer is for those that have never trusted you as their Savior. That today they would understand that you are and that you are good. With no exceptions. And that they would allow faith in your word to save them today. Lord, we pray for those who are just struggling with life and everything that's going on around them. They would hold to your word. They would worship you. And Lord, they would understand. What is such an impossibility for me is not a big deal for God. Just led them like a flock of sheep by the hands of Moses and Aaron. Lord, we pray that you would lead us and lead our church in a way that would bring glory and honor to you in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz will come.